us. It is the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I am Chris, go AU Fur. With me to celebrate the most glorious of recruiting days is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Ho, 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 Santa Fleck has delivered. <laughs> and U Street. Hey, y'all. That, that, whoa, that is not enough recruitment cheer there, U Street. Hey, y'all. You are not in the spirit. Cole, Cole for you. No bourbon, just coal. Today was, of course, the very first early signing period, or otherwise known as early national signing day, uh, or I don't know. There's plenty. I've seen the internet call it like seven things, um, which whatever. It's the first time there's been an early signing period in college football, and today was the first day of that period. And not surprisingly, although very much welcome, was the fact that Minnesota signed all of their commits. Uh, or I should say signed 25 of 25 with the 26th, Logan Richter, deciding the gray shirt. So that's big news. It means that the Gophers are done with this recruiting class, the 2018 recruiting class. And they have all of the remaining time uh, before the final National Signing Day, the first Wednesday in February, just like always. Uh, to start working on the 2019 class. So that's, I mean, that's that's a really exciting thing, um, especially when you look at the Gophers having signed arguably uh, their best recruiting class in, in school history. Um, the question I have for you guys is, uh, do you own a good bowling shirt? Because the most important news to come out of today was not the quality of the recruiting class, but the fact that Fleck apparently has an amazing, kick-ass, I would assume, Gophers-related bowling shirt. Street, what's uh, what's your typical bowling apparel? Well, I assume you have to wear a slightly gross like short-sleeve but collar polo. So yes, I own two of those that I never wear, but I'm sure I could break out for bowling. I'm far more interested in what Fleck's bowling shoes were because bowling shoes are obviously the greatest shoes ever invented. And I feel like his bowling shoes wouldn't look tremendously dissimilar from his regular game day shoe attire. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I was also quite surprised by the amount of bowling knowledge he had. Uh, either he read Wikipedia really soon before going up for that press conference, or the man's been a closet bowling fanatic this entire time. Have you seen the greatest video of all time, which is in relation to bowling? I have not. Andy, are you aware of this magical video? Andy's dead. We'll link it in the comments, but suffice it to say, this is a phenomenal video. It involves a trophy presentation for some professional bowling thing back in the early 90s where the trophy breaks and they just kind of go with it for a lot of different reasons. And I spent, oh, a good good 20 minutes laughing at it two days ago. So totally worth it. Very topical, very timely for you to come across this uh, gem of the internet right before Flex announcement. Andy, are you in possession of anything that you would call uh, Fleck-worthy bowling attire? I am not. Um, considering I've probably bowled five times since I was 14, uh, I I am not well equipped for uh, rolling the balls down the lanes, so I will have to uh, sit back and enjoy other people's attire on this one. 
Yeah, I'm ashamed to say I also am lacking in the quality bowling attire. I know that's a shock to our listeners, given the fact that I am such a prolific uh, proponent of wearing Zubas. Uh, and you would you would think somebody who wears Zubas on a regular basis would, would have some quality bowling uh, shirts. But sadly, that's not the case. I do uh, have a history as a fantastic bowler. Almost Jornel Mann's level, but not quite, uh, to the point where I was once beaten by my college basketball coach's six-year-old son. Although he did have bumpers, and I did not. So, I got that going for me. Big future in the in the Professional Bowling Association when six-year-olds are beating you. Um, things that do not stink like my bowling. Minnesota recruiting. Is this the best class in Minnesota history? Andy? I'm going to go with uh, yes, as long as we're not counting one of those random Murray Warmath 1959 classes that got us Sandy Stevenson, Bobby Bell, because, you know, those probably still would be the best. Um, but at least in the era that anybody can remember or pay attention that didn't involve randomly setting, sending telegrams to uh, African-American players who couldn't play in the South and telling them to come up to Minnesota. Yeah, I'm going to say this was the best recruiting class. Um, I mean, you could argue the 2008 class was better, but as we've seen in, you know, 50-50 hindsight, which is even better than 2020 for some reason, um, (laughs) considering we got playing from three or four of those recruits that were so good, um, I think it would... Well, frankly, I don't think I could see any reason that we would get less impact from this class. I mean, I suppose it's possible, but something tells me I, I don't think that's going to happen. So I'll, get a, I'll stick with my answer and say yes. This is, for most anybody who knows anything about recruiting in the modern era, the best class the Gophers have ever brought in. Street, you're well known on the blog as somebody who cares deeply about the difference between a .8609 class and a .8603 class, which is what the 2018 and 2009 classes were respectively. Uh, Based on that .0006 difference, are you willing to call the 2018 class the best class in the internet recruiting era? Yeah, love a lot of the things 24-7 does. Having four or five significant digits after the period of a number is not one of them. That's some dumb, dumb stuff there. I'll even explain why it's some dumb, dumb stuff, just because. 0.8604 and 0.8601 has no meaningful difference. You can make an argument that like 0.86 or 0.06 has no meaningful difference either, and I'd probably agree with you in that argument. With that said, all of that given, yeah, this is unquestionably the best recruiting class of the of the modern era, certainly. Part of the reason why it's it's the best, I'm gonna fire off some names from the previous, the 2008 and the 2009, and then the 2014 class, who were considered like top recruits. The four-star recruits in the 2008 class were David Pittman, who I do not believe ever saw the field. Trey Simmons, good, also Juco. Keaton Cooper, good. Brandon Green probably would have been better if he hadn't been oft injured. The sixth best commit in this class is a guy named Rex Sharp, who I legitimately do not recall anything about. Yeah, me either. 
Andy, do you, do you have any idea who that guy is? I'm I'm pretty sure that was one of the, about the five in that class that never even made it to Minneapolis for uh, for fall practice. Something happened in the middle of the summer. Either they got arrested and kicked off the team, or grades, or something like that. So I don't I don't believe he actually ever set foot in Minneapolis. Yeah. Also, the 2008 class had a very large number of JUCOs, some of which were fine, but most of which did not pan out. So that's the 2008 class. 2009 class, if we recall the, the greatest receiving crew in history, Heyo Carpenter. Heyo. Tackled on a kickoff return by a fat kid, if I recall correctly, despite his blazing speed. Moses, who became a tight end. Michael Carter turned out well. Obviously, she turned out well, though, as a defensive tackle. Hassan Lipscomb? Yeah, Lipscomb was another one of those. He was insanely, he was like literally like the fifth or sixth ranked running back in that class. And once again, never even made it to Minneapolis. Yeah, I remember being uh, insanely excited about that kid when we signed him. uh, And then nothing. Brett Singleton? Great last name. Don't know if he played a single down. Doesn't matter. Has a great last name. And then, of course, 2014 class. Uh, 14 or 16? I'm putting the 14 on initially because it has our best recruit of all time. Oh, okay. Which is Jeff Jones. Who, you know, never made it to class. Connor Mays. Play well transferred. Melvin Holland. Third best recruit in that class. Never saw the field under the coaches that recruited him. Gotta love that culture. <laughs> uh, Brian Anderson, you are a treasure. And the most recent, the 2016 class, which actually has a fair number of excellent recruits who have seen the field and who have played well, one of the advantages that the kill regime had as opposed to the Brewster regime, while the stars and the floor, by and large, were a bit lower, they tended to miss less often. So they did better work in making sure that they had commits that were going to produce and were going to play. And in 2016, you obviously had an incredible year for the state of Minnesota. It's absolutely going to be the case that as long as the state of Minnesota produces a lot of good football players, Minnesota's class will be better than it would be otherwise. I think you're seeing that in this class where my personal favorite offensive player in the class, Brevin Stan Ford, is the number one recruit for the state of Minnesota in this class, but the reason why the recruiting ranking is a bit lower than it might be otherwise is entirely due to Minnesota kids they took. With that said, here is the reason why this is the best class in the modern era. One, it was clearly targeted to address weaknesses. They got better. They got dramatically better on the offensive line. They got dramatically better at receiver. And they got dramatically better at defensive tackle once you include O.J. Smith, the transfer from Alabama, who will likely start at that position next year. So that's the first reason. The second reason is the talent level across the board. If you look at that lovely little box plot that Chris had in the post that dropped on Wednesday, you note that the distribution is really tight, which implies that everyone they are getting tends to be equally good, and you have a high average overall. So you're not getting into another situation that frequently you'd have in Minnesota classes where if you believe the recruiting experts, they'd have some incredible kid and then some kid who was nothing to write home about. So you have less distribution. That bringing the floor up means that the depth is going to get better. You're going to have more people who can potentially contribute. 
The third reason is they got a kid who is a four-sport athlete. One of those sports is bowling. And more broadly, they have a lot of multi-sport athletes. But they didn't recruit a quarterback who could play another position. <laughs> Long live positional flexibility. In ter- the, they did the correct thing for flexibility, which is, is this person good enough to play another sport? As opposed to, hey, could this quarterback be a left tackle? Maybe. As they... The, the last reason why this class is dramatically better is you're going to see a lot of these people actually show up to campus. One of the things that Fleck consistently highlighted during his 40-minute long press conference today, and as I said to some of the people who are on this particular podcast as well as the rest of the group, PJ Fleck might be the only person on the planet who is more long-winded than I am, is that a vast majority of these kids have 4.0 averages. They are excellent in the classroom. They are clearly high-character kids. And I'm not saying previous kids were not high-character kids, but I am saying previous kids didn't make it to campus a lot. There's no academic reason why these kids aren't going to make it to campus. So we're not going to have any academic casualties. It seems like culturally, we're not going to have that problem either that you saw in the Brewster year where he reached with guys that he probably shouldn't have brought to campus. Surprisingly, they never actually showed up to campus. And ultimately, your recruiting class is only as good as the players who will eventually make it to the field. And I'm reasonably confident that this class, every single player who is good enough to play, will see the field. As opposed to in previous classes, where some person might be really good at their position, but might not block that outside zone as well as they should, and therefore will never see the field. Or, some person might be phenomenal at football, but not particularly great at all of the other things that are required to play football. So that's why this is the best class. What is your favorite position group or player? I mean, I'll leave it pretty broad here. Just your favorite thing about this class. If you had to pick a one item, what would the one item be that you absolutely, without question, love about this class? Street, you already you already named some stuff, but if you had to distill it down to one thing, they got better. Nah, not Coach B answer. The actual thing: the wide receivers in this class are actually built to catch passes and run great routes. So if I had to narrow it down to one, the absolute immediate change because your offensive line recruits matter but they probably shouldn't play in year one unless they're incredible because they should go through that redshirt year to get strength conditioning Rashad Bateman's going to play a lot Jordan Mans is going to play a lot Brevin Spanford is going to play a lot they're going to be immediate difference makers on the field next fall and unquestionably for me that's the most important thing that comes out of this recruiting class because whoo boy was that wide receiving core bad last year after Tyler Johnson went down and Demetrius Douglas went down, of course. So that's my favorite. Andy, what uh, what would you list as your number one fave thing about this class? You know, I think it's uh, the main thing is that they filled all the holes needed to. They, they knew the three position slots where they were extremely deficient coming into last season, um, and they got players who can step in and whether it be the wide receiver slots in in Bateman and Manns who we'll probably see from game one next season 
or the offensive line where we may see a couple of these true freshmen play, but in in an ideal world, they all redshirt. Um, but the potential, seeing seeing where some of these other players were getting offers from, I mean, it's not outlandish to think that three, four, even five of the offensive linemen they signed today will be starting for this team in two years. Um, Dunlap, York, both, I think, Norton, all three have the potential to be starting in two years. And then you have Philele, who, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in this world other than P.J. Fleck who would have thought... When if they first read the Sports Illustrated article when it came out last spring that Daniel Falele would end up going to the University of Minnesota, the kid has potential oozing out of every pore. Now, if Ed Warner and Brian Callahan and PJ Fleck can mold him to be the player they want him to be, I mean, he could be arguably Minnesota's first first round offensive line draft pick since Max Williams' dad in 1990. Think about that. So. Um, I think the offensive line potential is through the short, through the <laughs> through the shorts, up through the charts. The question now will be: Is can they mold them to be what they can be? And I think they can. We just may not see it for a couple of years. What I think is really interesting about you making that comment about that Sports Illustrated article. Also, in case you somehow missed it, we'll we'll throw that into the comments as well. Um, that sport. I actually read that Sports Illustrated article when it came out. And I remember thinking, oh, man, this dude, it'd be really great if one day Minnesota could get in on guys like this. Like, not the absolute cream of the crop, but, you know, the guys who have the potential to become the absolute cream of the crop because of, you know, their their potential and their talent. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's visiting us officially and committing and then ultimately signing with the Gophers. So... That was actually a really – I'm super high on the kid as, as potential for the future, but also just on a micro level. I can remember reading that article and having those thoughts, uh, thinking it'd be nice, but never actually thinking it would happen. And then it, it goes off and happens. And I think for me that's actually probably my favorite thing in this class is the way they closed. They close landing guys that Minnesota doesn't close landing. They don't. Minnesota doesn't flip four-star recruits who are the number six offensive guard in a recruiting class from Florida and bring them to Minnesota. That does not happen. You do not get a Daniel Falele who official visits to, uh, you know, Alabama and Georgia. He doesn't come to Minnesota. That's not how that's supposed to work. You don't get everybody in the SEC calling Rashad Bateman and Georgia camping out in his living room practically. And him just going, nope. In fact, not just going, nope, but actually essentially trolling Georgia on Snapchat. Like, (laughs) the dude, dude, like, I thought it was interesting in Flex press conference today when he talked about Bateman, how he was freaking out over Bateman. Like, he was really worried he'd flip. And with good reason. Like, the dude was getting offers to SEC schools right in his backyard. And that's what happens is those kids flip. That's how it's supposed to work. And in, and after a while, like after the he said after the fifteenth time, he asked Bateman if he was going to flip or if he was committed. Rashad goes, "Coach, do you trust me? I'm staying." And Fleck backed off. And down the stretch, what you end up seeing then is a whole bunch of like, "Hey, I'm so glad, I'm blessed to receive this offer." Uh, and then he'd answer, you know, t- uh, South Carolina's offer with uh, he'd tag it RTB, <laughs> like. 
just straight up just like hey thanks for uh you know inviting me but middle finger so yeah i think the way they closed in terms of the the, the high end the ceiling level talent of, of this class is probably is probably my favorite thing all right nick saban and urban meyer are very displeased um with this early signing period. They don't they don't really care for it very much. But I'm interested in getting a sense of how much you think they hate it and why you think they hate it. So on a scale of Rashad Bateman's love of Zaxby's to uh, Brett Bielema's feelings about the hurry-up offense, how much do you think Nick Saban and Urban Meyer are hating early signing day uh, after or early signing period after this first day? Uh, Andy? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, it's definitely displeasure, especially after Urban saw a five-star offensive lineman from the Cincinnati Burbs basically troll him and flip uh, and go to Clemson this morning after basically saying Dabo Sweeney told him that Urban's on the tail end of his career. Um, I think Urban's a little fed up with uh, all all the... uh, antics and things like that so i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of a good negative ranking scale on a scale of one to five sad urban pizzas where where is where are his feelings about this day right now i think it's probably four slices in a crust (laughs) uh street where would you rank their displeasure with this new early signing period yeah probably about four pizzas and a crust do you think they have a point? Like, do you think they have? Do you think they have any good? Uh, let me rephrase: not a point, but any reasonable points for disliking this? Or at this point, are we just destined to hear helmet schools bitch and moan about not being able to poach people so easily because they've already signed with, um, you know, Minnesota, and they just got to learn to deal with it? I mean, they have a reasonable point in that. It's not quite the end of the year yet, which means a booster probably isn't going to give some random four-star a couple thousand dollars, because you don't know how that tax is going to play out. (laughs) Oh, God. Now, if it's in February, well, you know what your general income is going to be for the year. You got that budgeted. Now I'm picturing bagmen, like, with their, uh, their tax accountants, like, figuring out how to shelter money, not from the IRS, but so they have, you know, stacks of, of, of hundreds ready to go. I don't, they obviously have a self-interested point. The self-interested point is that if you look, and I think a good comparison of this is to basketball. It is absolutely true that the top schools in basketball will get the top recruits. Year in, year out, can basically say there are 10 schools and they're going to be in the top 15 kind of every year. There may be some movement as to which one is going to be number one, but they're basically going to be true. What is going to happen more broadly, though, is that on a basketball roster, you can't sign all seven amazing point guards. In football, for the longest period of time, that's sort of been what the helmet schools have been able to do. They've had their A player, and they've got their B player, and they got their C player and their D player. And a lot of times, they're able to get A, B, and C. But if they miss one, well, you go to D, you pull something off. Now you can't do that anymore, because that player is going to be reasonably thinking, well, I can just sign with these guys. 
I think there is a broader point, which if I'm going to be charitable to Saban and Meyer, which is a very weird thing to do to two people who make more money in a week than I do in several years, is that the thing with the new signing day is this becomes the new signing day. So if your coach gets canned and you're like a group of five school, for example, and someone poaches your coach, your team is going to just get smoked for a year of recruiting. And I think that's probably going to happen more often going forward because the recognition is going to be this is the signing day. It is hard for me to feel tremendously bad for Urban Meyer who is complaining about how awful this is when he has, at worst, the number two recruiting class in the country. So that, that I think, is, is possibly there a reasonable point. It's not the point they're making, but I think it is a more recent point. The other thing that's going to happen is I think it is absolutely true that P.J. Fleck does not sign every great player in this class if he had to hold them to February. And I think that dude is a great closer. Yeah, Rashad Bateman doesn't hang. Hey, well, Rashad Bateman might hang. Not with a month and a half of SEC schools all over him and then Bagman popping out. No way. I mean, the, the player who I think would most likely flip back would have been someone like Curtis Dunlap, someone who the Gophers flipped because they lost a coach. Florida gets Dan Mullen back in the fold. Dan Mullen likes him. He's got two months to establish that relationship. I think Dunlap probably stays. But because you only have this week now, mid-range schools in the recruiting ranks can overshoot where you would expect them to do. I actually think ultimately that's better for college football. It's better for college football that you have talent more spread out because you get better games. But it's not going to be good for Urban Meyer, Nick Saban. Dabo Sweeney doesn't seem to be complaining about the early signing period too much, but if he lost a couple of guys, he absolutely would. That's what I think is going to be the, is going to be the big change. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I I would be I would love to see if it actually drives just a touch more parity, um, and what that could mean for for college football. Because honestly, it gets a little and I, okay, objectively, I'm saying this as a as a as a fan of a team that needs a little more of that so that they can have some some, some additional success. But you know, I think as a general college football fan, I don't find some of the matchups that you're forced to watch because of the have and have not outcome uh, to be all that interesting and, and would prefer to see things you know spice up a bit um we've actually mentioned a couple we've made it made reference to not intentionally but as part of our discussion here some very common recruiting tropes uh, things that you see pop up all the time a great example uh, recruit gets a new commitment and then goes on twitter and says i'm blessed to receive I mean, that's like a requirement now. It might be like an unwritten Twitter bylaw. Like we will, uh, you know, ban your account if you do not use the words blessed to receive. Um, what recruiting tropes do you hate? I'll be honest with you. I kind of hate blessed to receive because it gets really annoying to see it retweeted into your timeline. Uh, this would be another good time to note another recruiting trope that I hate. Having to tell people to stop tweeting at recruits. Tweeting at recruits does nothing. You're a horrible person if you're tweeting at recruits. Nothing you say is that important. They do not know you. They do not care about you. And I hate having to talk about it and tweet it out because you know what? People fucking do it. 
they think they're somehow like the biggest thing. And oh my God, this recruit will come because I, the person with seven followers, have decided to tweet at them. They will be so grateful. Stop. Just, just stop. Don't do it. You're a horrible person if you do it. Terrible. There's no redeeming quality in it. Knock it off. All right. Those are the tropes I hate. Andy, what's something common to the recruiting game that you absolutely can't stand? I'm going to say it's the false religiousness of the glory to God, I got an offer from this random Mac school or something like that. You know, I understand there are religious people, and but making it, you know, every small-time effort. You, hold on, I want, I want to clarify. Is your concern that the over-religiosity, uh, and that's not even a word really, but the over-religious na- overly religious nature of the tweeting or the fact that it's in reference to a Mac school? <laughs> well, you could go either way, but ju- just the fact that, you know, every every single offer has to be... You know, it's it's the same it's the same thing with the, the the football players and the basketball players who who thank God for letting them win every single playoff game, because you know God was working for them and not for the other team on the other side, and it was it was just it was just special and things like that. It it doesn't work that way, people. I'm sorry. It gets a little annoying after a while to to me. So that that's my one. Street, what do you got? Please respect my decision that I don't like this question very much. Please respect my... I want... No interviews, please. I know you're... I know you're clamoring to interview me, a 17-year-old, about a decision that I will very much change in two months. So please respect my decision right now. That one... That one... That one pretty much is the... Is the worst term. Part... It's the worst term to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, I... I share Andy's thing like... It's not really all that much of glory to God if Kent State got you an offer, especially if you're a four-star recruit. But that's separate. I'm not going to complain about someone expressing their spirituality if they think that's important. That's great. Be you. What's strange to me about please respect my decision is, one, it is unclear who it is in reference to. Who is not respecting your decision? Especially the people who commit to helmet schools. You are from Columbus, Ohio. You committed to Ohio State. No one is not respecting that decision. Except for the Michigan fans tweeting at you that you made a horrible decision. Yeah, I'm going to say, I I think it's probably directed at the people that I just called the worst people in the world, those tweeting at recruits. Yeah, but the worst people in the world are going to tweet you regardless. Because they're the worst people in the world. They're obviously not going to respect your decision. That is the first thing. The second bit is the, like, please respect my decision, no interviews. Who is interviewing you? A lot of people, apparently. Presumably, based on, based on the way that you have framed that tweet, the person who is interviewing you is someone who doesn't respect your decision. Why are you granting that interview? <laughs> there are a lot of uh, people paid to analyze recruiting out there. And uh, when you figure several of the big schools probably have three, four, five, six different websites that try and get away with it i mean those are the people who who they want to keep away even though those are the people that drive all of the attention that that gets them all the attention for the offers so it's sort of a self but andy 
But Andy, what if I, the unpaid contributor at a, quote, media site, were to tweet at the recruit both to express my affection or displeasure and to ask them for an interview, would that not in some way change their decision and make my team more likely to sign them? Yes. We should all do that repeatedly. I'll be honest, the other the other aspect of recruiting as a trope that is somewhat of an issue to me. And I grant we're part of this problem. We're recording a podcast where we're super excited about a bunch of kids committing to a university that outside with the exception of perhaps Curtis Dunlop and Daniel Falele, we probably could not identify if they walked down the street. Is the recruiting agencies and the services around it. It's a way to make a living. I'm never going to complain about someone making a living. I will say that the amount of unnecessary intrigue that goes on during this process, particularly the number of different people who have claimed that they have sources somewhere, which is clearly them either talking to someone they know on staff, in which case it's pretty obvious who your source might be, or alternatively, like they went and texted a 17-year-old, like, hey, what are you thinking? That's a little bit weird to me. The carrying is creepy thing is true. And a lot of how the sausage is made is pretty gross. So in that sense, please respect my decision. No interviews. I'm very excited to commit to a university that I will likely change in three months. And I told the recruiting analyst that and the five other people who texted me. Uh, two things. First of all, we could all uh, recognize our YOLO quarterback, Vic Vermontes, because his flow is so magnificent. So let's not forget that. And then second of all, I would love to see where I could break out. Please respect my decision in real life. Like, no, I'm not going to complete that at the deadline you uh, have requested. Please respect my decision. Nope, not going to work on Saturday. Please respect my decision. Yes, I've called in sick. No interviews. <laughs> I feel like this is something we could break out via email in our everyday lives and then just report back uh, in three weeks how good our unemployment benefits are. Anyone up for it? Do we have a, do we have a group pact to give this a try? Please respect my decisions. No interviews on this group pact. All right. Uh, you know, obviously recruiting is extremely important. But uh, some other very important things have happened. Um, one, we've got uh, the fact that Star Wars uh, came out last weekend and that this weekend Pitch Perfect 3 comes out. Um, had, I know for a fact that none of us uh, here on the podcast have seen either the new Star Wars yet. Um, we are, well, at least I'm intending to see it. I know Andy is being dragged to it and Alex, I'm unclear. You seem, you seem unlikely to go soon. Uh, and Pitch Perfect, which we all saw again on uh, NBC tonight, or at least the first one. That The third one, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I am going to be at Pitch Perfect 3 at some point. Uh, yes. Um, we need to determine for all time, which is the better movie, Pitch Perfect or Star Wars The Force Awakens? Uh, and uh, let's start with Alex. I think you have some strong feelings on this subject. Uh, Force Awakens is a garbage movie. Pitch Perfect is not a garbage movie. Ergo, please respect my decision, no interviews. Pitch Perfect. Andy? It's, uh, it's true. I uh, would much rather sit through Pitch Perfect and watch it multiple times again and again than, uh, than the other one mentioned. 
which doesn't even <laughs> deserve don't... to be named by called by name. <laughs> wow, it won't even won't even name it. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have to complete the trifecta. Pitch Perfect is a, a superior movie to Star Wars: The Force Awakens. I like Star Wars: The Force Awakens. I think it was a solid reboot of Star Wars. I think it it got people excited. It delivered in ways that were um, enjoyable, even if the overall you know plot was essentially just you know a New Hope recycled. And the fact that the you know exploding laser moon just didn't make a lot of sense, um, but it looked really cool, and so I can kind of overlook it. Um, but Pitch Perfect, I mean, there's legitimately actually good singing going on, and it was fun to watch that and to listen to, and that was more original than anything in Star Wars The Force Awakens, thus Pitch Perfect is the superior movie. You can now all add us or come at us in the comments. That's totally fine, because if you think we're wrong, uh, no, unfortunately, you are wrong. Please respect our decision. Make sure to tweet about it at a recruit. Nerds. Yeah, I think there's still some five-star recruits who have not signed with Ohio State yet. I'm sure they're interested in your thoughts on why The Force Awakens is better than Pitch Perfect. You should immediately uh, set yourself, your avatar, to a Michigan logo and go tweet at them you know, profusely. While respecting their decisions, though. That's important. All right. Best class ever. Good movies on the on tap coming up here. And uh, definitely uh, Zaxby's. You know, something to look forward to. Apparently, the Minnesota market's closed off, but don't worry, Rashad Bateman. If anyone can get you a Zaxby's, I have faith that Coach Fleck is the man to bring Zaxby's home to the Twin Cities area. And besides, if we can have a Portillo's, we, we, do we have one Portillo's or multiple Portillo's? There are currently two, and I believe, plans for at least another one. Yeah, if there could be multiple Portillo's in Minneapolis-St. Paul, I feel like Zaxby's is just... Why not? Why wouldn't there be? So, something to think on. We'll catch you next week for another edition of the Sky U Podcast, uh, where we will actually talk about basketball. Uh, If you care about basketball and are wondering why we didn't talk about it, it's because, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Oral Roberts has been ably previewed by Zips of Akron. You can find that on the website. But outside of that, nope, that's the only mention of basketball you're getting today. Congratulations. And with that, go Gophers. Sky Yuma, row the boat.